Hey everybody, I'm Garrett. And I'm Melissa. We've been married for eight years and have two kids, Caleb and Sadie. Over the last few years, we have fallen in love with the scriptures and are learning how digging into God's word has helped us grow deeper with each other and those around us. We want to be real about our lives, our struggles, and our joys. This is Growing Deeper. Hey guys, before we get to the podcast, just want to remind you to rate and review the podcast. That'll make sure that if somebody looks up Exodus or Ruth, uh, that they will be able to pull up our podcast and, and see what we have to say on different sections of the Bible. Also, if you have any questions or comments or things that you want to share with us, uh, you can email us now. We now have an email address of growingdeeperpodcast at gmail.com. That's growingdeeperpodcast at gmail.com. Shoot us an email. We'd love to hear from you, even just uh, saying, hey, we're listening and really appreciate it or something like that. I don't know. Uh, shoot us an email. We'd love to hear from you. Now on to the podcast. Hey, everyone. I'm really excited because we are going to be jumping into Exodus next. And that is a little bit intimidating yeah. um, because of how long it is. Um, and compared to the other books we've done, they've been, you know, just a few chapters. It's just taken us a few weeks to get through them. I say get through them as though it's like yeah. a negative thing. But, you know, it's to work our way through those books hasn't taken so long. And, and this is going to be quite a a challenge. So we hope you stick with us and and work through Exodus with us. Yeah, so it'll be uh, 40 chapters of uh, just deep... Uh, you know Hebrew background, like where does it, where does the story even come from? What, what did Jesus see himself uh, entering into the story of? Because Jesus doesn't have this story is not just, you know, like it, it, he didn't just like come like make this new religion. Like he's carrying on uh, things of his past, like mm-hmm. things that the Hebrew scriptures are built on, and he sees himself fulfilling these things. And he says, like, hey, you know, Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, these are these were always about me. Uh, he's, he talks about that in Luke chapter 24. And so we're going to, we're going to look back to the most fundamental story, um, of the faith and like where, where Jesus, like what he sees him building himself building up on top of. Yeah. Um, and, and what all of this has been pointing towards the whole time. And, uh, and I think the Exodus is probably the most interwoven book throughout all of the scriptures, uh, from, from start to finish, you know, especially in the Hebrew scriptures, the Exodus just comes up over and over and over again. And once you, once you've like keyed in on it, and once you've recognized it, it start it, you just start seeing it everywhere. Uh, and then whenever you enter into Jesus's story, you realize, wait, this is this is what this has always been about. Um, and so I'm I'm kind of, I'm really excited to see how how those two lay over on each other as we. As we go through it, we saw hints at it and stuff in in Ruth. Um, we've seen it, um, and it, we'll we'll kind of touch on this a little bit in Esther, as well. Um, I, I think in every every book of the scriptures, we can take a look back at Exodus and see how it has shaped and formed uh, the entirety of the faith and been a fundamental uh, and foundational story to where it all was going. Yeah, so, so we're really excited about that. Um, But before we jump into the first chapter of Exodus, let's hear from Kate. Hey, Garrett and Melissa. It's Kate here. Um, First off, I just wanted to say thank you for giving me this opportunity to talk about my favorite scripture at the moment, because that is like one of my all-time favorite things to do with any of my friends, is to just sit down and talk about what they've been reading in the Bible and what they've recently seen. And I think it's just beautiful to see how God's been speaking to them, and there's a lot to learn from that. And so it's only fair that I return the favor and talk to other people about how God's been speaking to me through the Bible. And so, yeah, thank you for giving me this opportunity. I am just super pumped to talk about, like, some of my favorite things that I have, like, ever discovered in Scripture. Um, And that is coming from Mark chapter 8. So, specifically, my favorite scripture at the moment is Mark chapter 8, verses 16 through 21. But in order to understand exactly what's going on in this situation, you need to back up to the beginning of Mark um, chapter 8 when Jesus is feeding the 4,000. And so, in these scenes where Jesus feeds large crowds, 
it's not like he just gives people portioned amounts, right? He like, scripture says that he gives them their fill. So like they literally eat until they are satisfied and they're full. And so there's a lot of like bread and fish that Jesus and his disciples are handing out to these crowds. And consequently, there's a lot of leftovers, right? So the disciples um, in this scene, they, their responsibility was to gather the leftovers, put them in baskets and kind of take those baskets along with them as they continue to follow Jesus on his ministry. And so that's where verse 16 picks up. So it says that the disciples were discussing among themselves that they did not have any bread. And side note, what had happened is they actually forgot the leftover baskets at the side of the miracle. So that's kind of like what's going on right now. Um, and then in verse 17, it says, aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Don't you understand or comprehend? Do you have heart and hearts? Do you have eyes and not see? Do you have ears and not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of leftovers did you collect? Twelve, they told him. When I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many baskets full of pieces did you collect? Seven, they said. And he said to them, don't you understand yet? And so when I first studied this portion of Mark, I remember just being so frustrated with the disciples because in my fresh eyes, just reading up to Mark chapter eight, I had read about so many miracles and signs that Jesus had performed to clearly illustrate that he is God, that he is like Yahweh. And it was frustrating to me that the disciples who had literally just seen Jesus give bountiful amounts of food to 4,000 men plus women and children, that they come to him and they're like worried that they're going to starve and that they're going to be hungry because they left the leftovers back at the side of the miracle. And, you know, it was just, it, it was a struggle for me to relate to the disciples in this moment because it's just a moment where they like seem to have no faith and where they're just blind to this whole like Jesus being the Messiah, the Son of God, like they, they just don't see it and they don't understand. And it's frustrating at this point in Jesus's story. So fast forward a few weeks to Mother's Day. I went home because my mom and stepdad had um, agreed to host a cookout for our family. And so there was the inevitable question once I got home <laughs> that my family started asking me, well, Kate, what are you doing with your life? And specifically, it was my Aunt Karen's turn to kind of come up and say, so, you're about to graduate, what's your, what's your plans? And so I like went into this spill with her about how I'm applying for medical school, I'm getting ready to take the admissions exam, and quite frankly, it's an overwhelming process. And so I've just had a lot of, you know, anxiety, and I've just felt very discouraged over the past few weeks because, you know, I feel like... I'm crazy right now because I'm a 21 year old who is applying for medical school. Like it, I, I'm like a kid wanting to be a doctor and it's, it's just like, I'm feeling imposter syndrome, like hardcore right now. And so I started talking to my aunt Karen about, um, just the whole admissions process and how I'm feeling like super discouraged about taking the admissions exam. And I'm scared that I'm not going to make the grade to get into medical school. And so in the middle of me explaining this to her, she like stops me mid-sentence and is like, no, Kate, I have a question. And I was like, yeah, you know, what, what's up? And she was like, has God not taken care of you for the past 21 years? And when she said that, I was like, oof, that's a great question. And I automatically started like thinking about my past where, you know, God helped me through losing my dad. God helped me through my battle with anxiety. You know, it's like God has helped me through super duper dark times and super tough times, but he's always been there. 
And so, of course, my answer to her was, yeah, he, he's helped me a lot. And then she asked me, well, what makes you think that he's not helping you right now and that he's going to give up on you right now? And when she said that, my brain literally went back to this passage in Mark. And when it went back to this passage in Mark, I found myself as one of the disciples, like asking Jesus, hey, um, I'm worried because I left the leftovers and I'm, I'm scared that I'm going to starve. And it was just like such a raw, like moment. One of those moments that aren't easy to face because in that moment, of scripture, I don't want to be the disciples asking Jesus, like, if I'm going to starve. But that's where I found myself because, you know, sometimes life just throws you all these uncertainties and all these anxieties. And I, I was just really bogged down with my to-do list and reaching out to professors and doing all of these fancy interviews and studying and, you know, all of this, all of these steps to get to my end goal just really fogged my vision from the fact that like God is right beside me throughout this whole process and he's he's beside me now he's been beside me in the past and he's going to be beside me in the future because that's like what we get as being children of God like that that's our prize for claiming Jesus as our Christ is that we get to have him go throughout our lives with us and so like I that's just something that's been on my heart recently, especially at the beginning of quarantine, um, is just focusing on God's faithfulness, like studying what he's done for his people in the Old Testament and studying the story of Christ and seeing like what Jesus done for his disciples during his time here on earth. And even to the point where like, you know, God literally died on a cross so we could like be reunited with him. And then he was raised from the dead. So like that event alone is like showing his faithfulness and showing that he is awesome and that he's always going to be there. And yeah, that's kind of like what scripture has been on my heart recently. And so literally like, like every morning when I get up, if I'm ever studying or like going into an interview or trying to assemble my application packet and I'll start getting bogged down about my life. Like I will just stop and be like, okay, Kate, did Jesus feed the 5,000? Did Jesus feed the 4,000? And ultimately like, didn't Jesus, wasn't he raised from the dead? And it's just a great practice for me to like recenter myself and to like obtain this peace that like, I'm okay in the present and I'm going to be okay in the future because of what God has done in the past. And yeah, that's kind of like what's been on my heart recently. So again, thanks for letting me share that. Um, this is awesome what you guys are doing. So yeah, <laughs> bye. First off, I'd just like to say that I love Kate and I love her heart and I love the things that she brought up. Yeah. Uh, with reading the scripture that I I would have never necessarily thought of that way um of well, of thinking about the baskets that they were yeah that well, they had filled up with the leftovers and everything I just love how she put all that together and just painted this picture so clearly for me yeah so I mean she did things that like I've been wanting you know people to learn yeah. to do with the scriptures of like considering the context you've got to start off with the beginning of the chapter and stuff so it really helps to figure out what's going on in the story. And then you have these moments, like once you actually like are ingrained in the story, mm-hmm. um, you have these moments in your life where all of a sudden they, these things are called back. Yeah. And now it, because I think a lot of times we try to go find the story as, or we read the Bible as a response to a hard situation. Yeah. Like, like what does the Bible say about anxiety or but, what does the Bible say about love? Yeah. But whatever. whenever we're really ingrained in the scriptures, all of a sudden, whenever we're going through things in our life, like things like this just start to pour out of us that, uh, that whenever that's become such a part of who we are, that it's like during those hard situations, it's like, that's whenever 
these scriptures get revealed to us, you know, to a deeper level than maybe whenever we were just reading it. Like we were, we were technically understanding it. Like she was doing a good job, like of, of technically understanding it, but you know, it's this knowledge does not equal understanding idea. Um, is that, okay, we can know something, but can we really understand something? And it takes like a moment, like there's this development over time where you, you experience this moment where you finally understand. You actually like have come become intimate with the scripture, um, and it, it's it's changed you know formation to you right before your eyes because of the thing you're going to. So so I I, I mean I really just appreciate her vulnerability with that. Yeah. In that her willingness to open up and you know talk about things that are are that are really hard for her right now, and I know that I mean there's a lot of uncertainty in life uh right now uh especially for you know our college students that are you know getting near to graduating and stuff um it's called like it's called the liminal space it's like you're in between you feel like you're not quite this and you're not you're still not the thing you used to be you know it's like you're like in this in between it's the liminal space um and it's it's actually in those spaces like of the unknown of like you don't know who you are right now that you like develop and like you become something different and transform. Uh, it's that, that metaphorical cocoon space, uh, you know, uh, but like, I think that's a really cool thing, but, um, I love the scripture of Mark chapter eight and I'm just going to go through a little bit of it. Just whenever I read it and I hear her say it, it just brings stuff to my mind too. Mm-hmm. Um, Especially, so you you have you have Jesus who is like this is kind of the middle of the book of Mark, and he's building up to chapter nine. That chapter nine is going to be the transfiguration, um, and it's this moment on the mountain with Moses and Elijah. So this ties in really well with what we're about to talk about with Exodus and what what's going to happen in Exodus. Um, but you just you just saw this man; these disciples just saw this man like feed all these people. Um, in the wilderness, fed him in the wilderness, uh, and he 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 provides this bread from heaven basically, um, and you know th- they watch him do it, and it's just like a miracle before their eyes, and they're amazed by it, and then just like she said, you know, just a little bit later, it's like they've they've realized they've forgotten the bread, and like that's a problem, because like, as if not having the bread is a problem, whenever you have the maker of the bread in the boat with you. Right. And, um, and, and so they're, they're still so blinded by that, that they have these eyes that can't see what's going on. And so, I mean, this ties really well. So just like I said, at the beginning of this, how all these scriptures, especially the Exodus interweaves. So if we go back to Exodus and go to chapter 15, chapter 15, there's this huge poem. 14 is their deliverance where they come out and they go through the Reed Sea and the... The Reed Sea? Yeah, it's actually the Reed Sea. Whoa. Yeah. Um, so, fun <laughs> fact, um, it, it's commonly translated Red Sea, but it's the Reed Sea. I feel um, lied to. Yeah, a lot of people do. <laughs> um, anyways, um, so they, they come through the waters. They're delivered. God shows his power over the waters, okay? How, how powerful he is in that moment. How he rules the waters. And chapter 15 is the, is this actual, it's actually a repetition of 14, but it's a poem. It's a song. They sing a song. It's probably the oldest part of scripture in the whole Bible is chapter 15. And, um, they sing the song and at the end of it, it says that they go for three days and they cry out. And, um, and what ends up happening is they're like, you know, oh, have you let us out here in the desert just to die of thirst? Hmm. So their their exclamation is like, you've led us out here in the desert to die with no water. Yeah. Whenever three days before that, they saw a God deliver them through the waters and have ultimate power over the chaos waters. And they're like f- freaking out, you know, and losing it. Yeah. And they're on their way to Sinai. So they're on their way to the mountain moment where they, they meet their God. And they come to know him in his fullness on the mountain. Uh, and just the same in this story with Jesus, they have this, they have this moment where he he gives them bread from heaven, 
Um, and then they're like, oh, what are we going to do without the bread? You know, when they have the one that made the bread and it's like, guys, I made the bread. You know, like this is like you are not without, you know, right. remember what I've done for you. And they're on their way to the mountain moment at chapter nine, which is the transfiguration where Moses is there. So it's like this Exodus, this is very much tracking with the Exodus, but it's a greater than the Exodus. And so, and we'll talk about that when we get to it. But I just think that that's really cool how these two things lie on each other. But, you know, to us, it's thinking about, to it's taking that story and then whenever we're, we're living, you know, we're living our lives in these moments of like, yeah, there's a lot of times where it's like, we'll have God deliver us from something and it's almost like we turn around and all of a sudden I'm, you know, like I'm stressing out about something of like, I don't know how I can take care of all of this. I don't know how I can, how I can get even to the next day. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I, I very much hear that in Kate's voice and, you know, she's not alone in that. And this is a tale as old as time, Yeah, you know, that we continue to do this. Yeah. Uh, but praise be to God that we have a Messiah that, um, that has taken, he is, he is the bread giver. And so it's like, we're, you know, we we can find rest in that. Um, it, it's as opposed to the continual toil. It's that reminding ourselves of that. The disciples needed to be reminded of it. They were right in front of Jesus. They needed to be reminded of it, and so so do we. And that's what these scriptures are for: is to help us do that. I just I love how that the way that that happened for Kate was that she was in the scriptures. A moment came up. The scriptures were opened up to her right. in that moment because she was in them. Yeah. Um, in a different way than what she expected yeah i think for me what stood out um well when kate was talking was uh something that i've done before and i might have even mentioned on the podcast before of like just writing a letter to god thanking him for how he's been uh, faithful in my life and Mm -hmm. it forced me to try to think of all the ways that god has been faithful and um you when you force yourself to try to think about those things, it really, it brings up a lot of things that you've forgotten about that you just, you don't think about every day and you're like, oh yeah, like I've, I've totally have made it through that situation and come out on the other side. And so it made me think of that. And that's something that I think is very helpful to do, even if it's not actually writing it down, just like trying to take a minute. Like Kate was saying, she kind of reflected in that moment and realize all the things that God has brought her through. Yeah. And so just like, you know, setting aside that time and that's kind of like goes hand in hand with like the idea of trying to be thankful for the little things every day. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that stood out to me, uh, was Kate mentioning imposter syndrome. And, um, that's something that I've thought some about recently. Um, like, I don't know, in some ways, you know, I'm 30 years old, mother of two, been married for eight years. (laughs) That's right, right. (laughs) And then, like, I still, I still sometimes feel like a kid. Mm -hmm. I still sometimes feel like way young. I don't know what age I would say. I I would say early 20s at least, maybe younger sometimes. And yet I have all these, I'm responsible for two little, little lives every day, you know? Um, and so it's just like, how could I possibly be in this position to take care of these things? And so I think that's something that you deal with on different levels as you, you know, I mean, I think maybe you've experienced that as an engineer of just being like responsible for such, you know, like big things projects and things in nuclear plants and stuff and and just kind of having that feeling of like who am I to be (laughs) like I still feel like a kid in some ways and I like to go hiking and do fun and you know just like hang out and do silly stuff and um it's just it's confusing but I I would I would like to say to Kate that I can't think of anybody better to be a doctor or anything in the healthcare realm yeah, yeah, than with you. The, with the drive that, um, that she has and yeah. the willingness to learn and, you know, yeah. that's the person that I want working It's a me. little, it's, it's been a little weird as we've gotten older to like see yeah. people who are doctors and nurses that are our age or young, or, you know, they're like 
you're we're starting to see doctors and nurses that are younger than us and that used to kind of weird me out because I knew some people <laughs> you kind there's of definitely people that I don't want <laughs> to ever work on me as a doctor you know or a nurse <laughs> or a nurse or, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but Kate's not one of those people. No. So, no. Uh, yeah. So kind of a little side note that's not necessarily about the script, the scripture yeah. in particular, but just that kind of idea of imposter syndrome is like, I think all of us deal with that at some point. And uh, you're totally on the right, the right path. And you're yeah. going to do great things no matter what you yeah. choose. Yeah. So. I'd like to back up just for a second with the that thinking of like because you used to write things down that you were thankful for yeah um and i i think that there's such an important aspect of that as a practice you know we've been talking about a little bit you know we've been talking about um habits that form us that change us and how doing you know doing things daily uh you know whether we like it or not the things that we do form who we are and uh, i think that idea of being being intentionally thankful um, that the more we do that, the more we're going to become actually thankful. Yeah. Um, and that's become going to become p- part of who we are. Instead, it's become part of who we are to be negative most of the time. Um, and, um, and instead, if we can intentionally uh, and habitually, like, make time to think of things that are, uh, that are good in our lives that I think we will we will slowly start that will be start becoming who we are. Um and uh and so anyway, so we're we're gonna um you have anything else with that? I do not. Okay. But so, I'm I'm excited about this, but it's kinda funny because we're gonna go backwards to go forwards a yeah, little bit. Yeah. So in order and just like just like with Kate did, in order to understand a story, yeah. you've got to back up mm-hmm. some and understand where you are. And I, I, I cannot impress that enough when we go through these things that we have to understand where we are in the story before we start reading the story. You don't start in Harry Potter, the chamber of secrets. You read Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's stone before you read Harry Potter and the chamber of secrets. But fun fact though, I actually accidentally did start reading chamber of secrets before. That's right. And that's that's probably why I never continued the book. Cause I was like, what's going on here? Those are so fun. Uh, Like when I was a kid, that was just unbelievable. It changed my life. So, um, well, <laughs> anyways, it really did though. It changed how I read. Like it changed the fact that I actually read anything. Mm. Um, but anyways, um, so we got to back up a little bit. I'm not going to read all of quote you know the idea of the whole sorcerer's stone, but I'm going to give oh, you yeah. what what's happened in the story so far. So here's the deal. We're going to start Exodus. Exodus is a part of a a five. It's quote a five book series. Um, but in actuality, it's really one one long one cohesive story uh, that's built as one literary work of art, um, and and so and that's most of the time called the Torah. It's the instruction uh, to uh, as far as how the the Hebrew Bible structures it. It's called the Torah, and it's those are the five first five books of the Bible. Um, uh, it what well, Genesis. Levit- or Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Uh, and it begins with Genesis. And <laughs> so we've got a bird outside of our window. It, it that's kind like of trying to come in. Um, so um, in Genesis, we kind of have this, this beginning story of God and humanity and what's going on there. And so we've co- we covered a little bit of that. I've covered that in the Heaven and Earth podcast. Um, but... It, the the idea here is that you know God created humanity in His image, um, and placed them in the garden and everything, and everything was awesome. And then humanity chose their own way, and they decided to uh, take the knowing of good and bad on their own terms. And in turn, they were they were sent out of the garden, uh, and um, were totally disconnected from God at that point. And the rest of the story, picking up and I'll pick up Genesis eleven. The rest of that story, Genesis eleven twelve, is that God picks one man through whom He's going to redeem the whole, uh, the whole world. He's, all nations are going to be blessed through Him. That's the covenant that's made with Abraham, is that He's going to bless the whole world. And so the the rest of Genesis is the story of Abraham's family, uh, as they as it goes down through the different patriarchs, uh, to Isaac and then to Jacob, and then Jacob has twelve sons, and one of those twelve sons is a guy named Joseph. And 
Joseph is the favored son. He's the beloved one. And he uh, is not liked by his brothers just because of that. Um, that he that he is the the beloved child, and so they throw him in a well and they sell him into slavery. Uh, he makes his way to Egypt. There's a famine, uh, and uh, at that time Joseph has actually worked his way up, uh, and he's become the right hand of the king of Egypt, and so he has all the power of the king of Egypt. And his brothers show up. They don't recognize him. He recognizes them, but. Anyways, uh, what ends up happening is there's this interaction between them, and they actually come and are reunified together. Uh, in the end of the story, in Genesis chapter 50, um, there's this, their father dies, Jacob dies, and they have this moment where they're, con- they're like, what if Joseph has been angry at us this whole time, and now that dad's dead, he's going to lash out at us. Uh, and they, they make up this lie as to what to tell him. But then, uh, as a response to the, to the lie, they asked for you know his, their, his forgiveness, and Joseph wept when they spoke to him, and his brothers also came and fell down. Uh, but Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for, I, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So the beginning, so this ending of the story is like, you meant this for evil, God meant it for good. He turned it for good. And so we're kind of left with that ideal of this is what God does. Remember, the beginning of the story kind of started out with like humanity choosing their own way. What we meant for evil, God is going to turn it for good. And that's kind of the theme I feel like of the book of of, of Genesis, um, as it transitions into Exodus, and then the next part, the last little section of Genesis, it goes through um, Joseph's children, uh, and that he's about to die, um, and he said he says to them, and Joseph said to his brothers, "I'm about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that He swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob." Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. And so the ending of Genesis is an incomplete story, is that we had this promise to Abraham that that his children would be as numerous as the stars of the sky. That was the covenant that was made with him. I'm going to make you a great nation, and you're going to possess this land. That he's in, that was the land of Canaan, and so what we have is a is an unfulfilled promise at the end of Genesis. But Joseph is saying, "But God is going to keep the promise um, that He's going to come and visit you. God's going to come and visit you, and He's going to take care of you, and He's going to bring you out of this land and take you back." Um, that that's the story. It's left hanging. It's a cliffhanger, and um, and so we're meant to be like, "Well, what happens?" Well, that's what the book of Exodus picks. It picks up right there and picks, you know, starts the story back up. So do you want to um, read the first section here of Exodus chapter 1? Sure. Uh, These are the names of the sons of Israel who went to Egypt with Jacob, each with his family, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan and Naphtali, Gad and Asher, The descendants of Jacob numbered seventy in all. Joseph was already in Egypt. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died, but the Israelites were fruitful and multiplied greatly and became exceedingly numerous so that the land was filled with them. All right. So we we have this repetition of now we've we've called up the, the sons of Israel, uh, so that we can, we can continue the last story. So if you, if you think about it, at this time, uh, whenever these books are being written, you don't have what you know of as a codex, like a Bible. We don't have a, a stack of books uh, that we can just put, you know, all in one binding. What they have is scrolls. They have they have scrolls that can connect all these things. So if you have two different scrolls, what's the best way for you to actually connect those two books? Well, the ending of the last one, talking about what's gonna what's starting to happen in this one, and then hey, remember, remember. 
they were in Egypt, and there were there were twelve brothers. And these these were them. <laughs> yeah, and this was them. And so it, it's it's tying you into it. So if you're thinking about just having a set of scrolls and you're trying to organize them, uh, you're gonna read this book and realize, oh, this one goes with with that one. Um, and uh, and so it's just leading you into it. Um, there's some also some interesting things in here. Um, whenever we read the Genesis story the stuff that's going to come up to us that's important um, or that you're going to hear because you've already heard it a bunch of times um, is that um, they were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Uh, and so that's important language. It's an important thing to hear whenever you think about the Genesis story. The, the, what, what Adam and Eve were told to do was be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Uh, and then I think Noah was given the same, the same instruction after he comes off the ark, he's told like, it's like a new, new humanity. Um, and you're kind of hopeful that things are going to work out and it doesn't, but it's like, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. And then you have the covenant with Abraham that his name, his family is going to be great. He's going to make his name great. And his name, he's going to make his, his children multiply so that it's just like as numerous as the stars of the sky. So here we have, we're starting to, it's a hint that, hey, the covenant is starting to be fulfilled. Yeah, I think when you start reading verse 6 and you're like, now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation had died. You're like, well, That's... they, this is a, this is not going well. <laughs> um, and this is not where I, you know, we just talked about how like, yeah, like God's going to come to your aid and, you know take you to the land he promised, and now you're like, but everybody who was there when that happened has died. But then verse 7 starts out with, but the Israelites were fruitful and multiplied greatly. And so you get kind of this turn of like remembering God's timing is different than ours and just kind of being reminded that this, just because that hasn't happened yet, doesn't mean that he is starting to fulfill his promises. Um, cause he's, he's fulfilling his promise in the sense of the descendants being as numerous as the stars. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that's happening here. And so that's kind of that turn of hope of like, yes, he, he is fulfilling his promise. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, they're still in Egypt, but this is, it's starting to play out. How is this, how is he going to fill, fulfill it? Right. Um, and so you kind of get that first inkling of it right there, but they're not in the land. Right. Okay. So how are we going to deal with that? Well, Here's the book of Exodus. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So here's how we end up in the land. Yeah. Right? Or at least a, the beginning of that. Um, so am I reading this? You... Yeah, 8 through 14. Okay. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies. And fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to inflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service and mortar and mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field in all their work they ruthlessly made them work as slaves so this section starts out with um we were introduced to a new king who we don't know his name just call him pharaoh um and he is talking about how numerous the Israelites are becoming and he's kind of intimidated he seems to be a little bit scared of how many of them there are and when I first read this my mind took me to how we um read in Esther about King Xerxes which really I guess yeah so so there there again we have this like so this is why this book is so important all these other books are referencing back to it if you don't know This story, it's really hard to understand the other stories. So uh, King Xerxes kind of jumped to a conclusion of like, oh my goodness, my the queen did this. And so all the women are going to turn on, you know, like try to overtake their husbands. And he kind of made this like just 
rash decision of like getting rid of the queen and like, you know, making, you know, making, changing all the rules and stuff to try to make things to where something that probably wasn't even going to happen. He was trying to control, control the situation to try to ensure that it didn't happen. Yeah. Um, and in the same way here, it's like you have Pharaoh who is like, oh my goodness, if they become too many and we go and we go to war and they might just like turn against us, like all these things that are like, I, I see it so much in myself of having this vision of terrible things that might come in the future and trying to, you know, put my hands around it so tightly to try to control it yeah. that I do something that doesn't even make sense. Yeah. Um, in that moment. And that's kind of what he's doing here. He's like, well, let's just oppress them. And, uh, seems like the right answer. It it feels just kind of rash. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, it's something that I can so see in myself. Yeah. I I think it's supposed to, like, when you're reading it, it is supposed to be like, wow, that's a, that's a bit of an overreaction. Yeah. Um, but when we really consider ourselves, it's like we try to get like two steps ahead of everybody. All the time. And whether, you know, and, and we jump to conclusions about what people are thinking or what people are doing. And we're trying to be ahead of that. And we're, you know, and we end up sacrificing relationships that we, um, that, you know, that were really going to build us up. I mean, the Israelites could have been a huge asset. They were obviously a huge asset before this. Yeah. Um, they could have been a huge asset to Egypt. And instead, he chooses to see them as an enemy because they're different uh, in some way um, than he is. And so it, it's really interesting. It, like, this is just such a repeated story. And I think that's also, like, why we're not really given a name um, of Pharaoh. No, actually, uh, there's been at least three Pharaohs that have occurred in the Scriptures so far uh, in this story. One one with Abraham, maybe another one with Isaac, um, but uh, and then with Joseph, and then this story. So there's three to four uh, pharaohs that don't ever get names um, that are king, you know kings of Egypt, um, and I, I think part of it is that, um, or at least one part of it is that this type of king, this type of ruler, is so common in the world. It's like this story is not just about this story, but this story is the like the foundational piece to help you understand the other stories that you see play out. Um, of what what does it look like whenever somebody uh, de- decides to ruthlessly oppress another group of people, uh, and it's happened so many times in our in our history as human beings, um, and it, and it continues to happen. So um, I, I think that's part of it. There's these things in here that I think are interesting. Um, these are foundational to the Passover meal. Uh, whenever you have if you have a hold a Passover seder. Um, they'll have like a boiled egg on the table. Um, that boiled egg represent it, it calls back to this moment, but the more that they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and the, the more they spread and the Egypts were in dread of the people of Israel. So as they ruthlessly oppressed them, the harder they got, you know, the more resilient they became. And that boiled egg is what represents that on the table at a Passover meal is that it's like the more you boil the egg, the harder and more resilient it becomes. It's not crackable anymore. Like as far like you're not going to throw it on the ground and it just gets spread out everywhere. And uh and so that egg represents that. And then there's also um the um it says that he made their lives bitter. They made their lives bitter uh with hard service and mortar and brick. And so then there's two other um thing the the maror which is the bitter herb that they eat. It's usually like a horseradish that you eat and it makes your like whole face explode. And, uh, but to remember that they were, they always remember as a Passover meal, it's as if they were those that were in Egypt. They say we were slaves in Egypt. Yeah. Um, and they're remembering this as their past, um, as if they were the ones that lived through it to also remember how this story ends. Um, and, um, and so that, and then they have the, I think it's the Harriset that is the mortar and brick. It's like a sweeter um, uh, dish on, on the plate, but it's like a, a you know, red mixture. It looks like brick. 
But anyways, so like these are like fundamental to the Passover meal as they remember this story. Yeah. Uh, as if as they live through it. So I, I really love in verse twelve what you just mentioned. The more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread and just kind of thinking about how when things are challenging, when things are difficult, God is still working mm-hmm. and he's still fulfilling his promises even in those seasons. And that's just that gives me a lot of hope. Yeah. So you think whenever James is saying, consider it great joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. Yeah. You think that he's not, he doesn't have this story on his mind. Right. As a, as a brother of Jesus uh, and somebody who grew up in, in the faith and remembering the story every year at a at a meal and a seven day festival. Yeah. You, know, you think that's not on his mind? You know, so like. It's like I, God is still working right now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and so like this story is not just a story of this moment. It's actually a perpetual story that mm-hmm. God continues to repeat. Yeah. Um, and, and that's what they're looking forward to, and that's what Jesus sees himself living out. Um, okay, so you want to read um, All right, I'm going to finish 15. up this chapter. Yeah. All right, the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shifra and Pua, when you help the Hebrew women in childbirth and observe them on the delivery stool, if it is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, Why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. So God was kind to the midwives, and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. All right. So we have this really interesting interaction. Pharaoh, he does not feel like he is getting the response that he needs to out of his slave labor. But it's not actually making them, you know... It's not beating them down as much as it's making them grow even more. Uh, and so he decides a mass genocide is the answer now. Um, and he, you know, he, he tells these um, midwives to kill the, the baby boys of all these Hebrew families whenever they're born. I mean, it's, yeah. it's horrible. It's a yeah. horrible thing. Like, this is not easy. Yeah, and what's interesting to me here, too, is how it feels like this under the table transaction mm-hmm. um, with him and the and the midwives of like, you know, like Xerxes made this proclamation to all the provinces, and at this point in the story, this is just sort of a, hey, midwives, yeah, handled this for me. Yeah, I think I think so. Remember, he's scared. Yeah, and so he's afraid of what they're gonna do, and so I think he tries to do this covert operation, where he's like, hey, listen, whenever they give birth to a son. Just say, "Oops, you know, I accidentally, I accidentally slit his throat." You know, like I don't know, I don't <laughs> know how you, I don't know how you mysteriously how you do that. that um, but it seems like he's trying to do this under the table thing, where he's going to kill them kind of silently, yeah, so that they don't realize it's him that's making it happen. Instead, he's using these midwives as this kind of this in between um, to do his dirty work and. It's it's so weird because it's like, dude, you're like you're king of Egypt. Yeah, you're king of Egypt. Okay. Oh, remember, he's he's terrified of these people. Yeah. Um, and and this fear that he has drives him to do these horrible things. Yeah. And um, and so I I I do think it's just like this this fear that's that's overwhelming him, and so he's reacting this way. And it's it's really fascinating what the what the midwives do. I think this is really really calls us to you know, like it makes us wonder what what was it right which what they did so well uh, yeah go ahead before you jump into that yeah i just think it's interesting to note that clearly these midwives fear god more than they fear the king of egypt absolutely they recognize that he is more power that god is more powerful than the king of egypt and so there is some some recognition there that i think is kind of important to note yeah yeah, that they're yeah that they fear God more than the king of Egypt, which is going to be kind of a a theme of this book. Yeah, of uh, that, you know, who's more powerful? Yeah, king of Egypt or Yahweh, um, and it's going to be this duel between the two of them 
of who who actually has more power. And so for this one, it's starting out like these midwives recognize that they actually right. see it uh, that that God uh, should be feared more than this this human king. Right. Um, and uh, and so he whenever he realizes that she that, that these women are um, undermining him, that they're you know. That they're not actually fulfilling what he's telling them to. He's like, why have you done this? And let all the male children live. Um, they say, because the Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. And so the question is like, um, is that true? You know, like, yeah. did they actually, did so did these women just lie, like lie to, to the king of Egypt? Um, I, I, I think they did. I think it definitely seems like they did because, I mean, before we kind of get our answer, they feared God and they didn't want to kill the kid, didn't want to mm-hmm. kill the baby boys. And so they're just like, they just let them live. They yeah. were clearly present. They did not have a, you know, it wasn't situations of uh, speedy <laughs> birth <Yeah>. every time. <laughs> yeah. Um, And so, yeah, I think, I think they were... I, I agree. I think they were just lying to Pharaoh. Yeah. And so I think that really, um, whenever we see everything is very black and white, like Bible says, don't lie, you know, as if that, like, does the Bible actually say that? Um, does it actually teach us that? Like, don't lie? Or if we kind of developed that over time to be like, oh, well, that's that's best practice, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, and I, I think yeah. in general it is. Um, that's not... Uh, that's not what I'm trying to call yeah. into question. No, not, it's just I'm like not trying to say what? you should you should definitely lie about things. <laughs> no, it, but but it is like is it okay? You know, I I think we're we're left with this kind of, uh, and this is not going to be the only time it happens in scripture. Yeah, where these people people lie, actually, f- on behalf of God's people, uh, or to protect God's people in some way, uh, or protect the innocent, or to protect those that are in danger. Um, you know, I I think Rahab does it um, in Jericho. Um, you're going to see it. Ha- I think we're going to see it happen a few more times in this book of Exodus. And so it's like, well, what are, what are we supposed to learn from this? Are we supposed to learn, oh, actually, lying's okay? Are we supposed to learn, actually, lying's not okay? I don't think that's what we're meant to glean from here. I think it's meant to give us wisdom. I think we're meant to look at this and be like, man, you know, what was the situation? How did they deal with this? They, I mean... It started out with let's deal shrewdly with the Hebrews mm-hmm. and make them our slaves. Well, who deal who deals shrewdly at the end of this chapter? The ones that drew that that deal shrewdly are the midwives. They're the ones that deal shrewdly, and they deal shrewdly with the king of Egypt. And so he's the one that he wants to have the Hebrews. King of Egypt actually gets had by the by the shrewdness of his servants. Yeah, the interesting, I mean, you know, God doesn't seem to have a problem with the way the midwives responded. No. um, Because, you know, he says he was kind to them and he gave them families of their own. So this, their response to Pharaoh, which I think, you know, it's interesting. It's like, well, were they trying to, were they, did they have some fear of Pharaoh and they were trying to save themselves from Pharaoh? Or is it a scenario of, they know if they tell him the truth that they might be replaced by some other midwives that would carry out um, and kill the baby boys. And maybe they felt like if they lied in this situation that they could still be the midwives and still save lives. Yeah. Well, so let let me try to bring this forward to something maybe that would be a little bit more understandable to us. Um with the so think about german you know nazi germany you had all these jews um mm. that were running from their government uh because they were trying to they were sending them off to concentration camps and stuff and you had all these people that are trying to you have you have people that are trying to you know take care of them you know and hide them. I think there's a book we had to read in middle school, Number of the Stars. I think that ended up that covered, like where you know these people are hiding. Yeah. Uh, this maybe. family in this attic, you know. Yeah. And they stuff. like come and knock on the doors and. Yeah, and so and then you got the Gestapo comes by and it's like, hey, you know, do, have you seen these people? Whatever, and yeah. you know, it, it, so 
is like for these people that are trying to take care of these Jewish people in their attic, is it okay for them to lie to the Gestapo to say, no, I don't have, I don't know anything about Jewish people, you know, like that, that's gotta be okay. (laughs) That's gotta be, right. You know, to take care of, uh, it's not a lack of faith, you know, in that moment to say, no, I don't know anything about Jewish people. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't, you know, do this whenever you're trying to protect them in your closet, you know? Right. Um, and so I, I think maybe if we bring that a little bit closer to home, we can try to understand this, um, where it's like, they're kind of being faced with that same exact situation, this yeah. mass genocide, uh, that's being put in front of them. And they, they are, they're more fearful of God to where they'll lie to Pharaoh, uh, for the sake of the Hebrew people. Yeah. And I, I think, I think that's what's going on there. I think that's what we're supposed to I mean, we're supposed to learn from that. Yeah, and I think it's tough because, like, obviously it's hard to teach our four-year-old son the nuances of when lying is acceptable, you know? Like, we're just kind of like a hard no, you tell the truth when he's four. Right, And um, it just becomes difficult, and I think having conversations like these and reading scripture together and talking through it can kind of help figure out that this isn't trying to be a narrative about should you lie or should you not lie. It's uh, about like the heart of these women and what they're trying to yeah, achieve. Yeah, it, it's going around a story to be like, this is what real life is like. Yeah. Not just like not do's so, and don'ts. Yeah, it's and, not so simple. Yeah, it's not It's not really clear all the time as to what we're supposed to do. Um, but it, it's kind of giving you... It's walking you around the problem so you can diagnose the real problem. Yeah. And the real problem isn't like lying or not lying. It's like, am I protecting those that are, that can't fend for themselves or am I not? Yeah. Am I doing something for personal gain or am I loving others? Right. Right. And so I I think that's what this is trying to, remember, this is part of the Torah. It's part of the instruction, but it's not command. Like these aren't commands. We're supposed to glean something from it. That's <laughs> instruction. Right. What is that? Uh, I, I think. I think that's what we're how we're supposed to be reading this, and gleaning wisdom from it. Um. So, do you have any other thoughts on this? Um, before we wrap up chapter one. Um. I I think it's just interesting the the last verse when, it's like okay Pharaoh is fine is just gonna give the order that every boy must be thrown into the night. He's like, okay, obviously the under the table thing with my, the two midwives that I have is not gonna, not gonna work out. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the point where he elevates this even more. And it's less of a, it feels to me like less of an under under the table thing and more of a, okay, this isn't, this still isn't working. We're going to have to, yeah. Make some sort of like declaration about this. Yeah, and so finally he just is like, All right, I've been I've been needing to do this in his mind. He's like, I've been needing to do this for a while now and yeah. I'm gonna make it happen. <laughs> yeah. Um it you know, one one thing I want I do want to mention um before we, we close this up, um, is that so I think I think it'd be helpful if you went through this to go read uh, Matthew chapter two. Um Matthew's very much tracking with the book of Exodus. Really, he's tra- tracking with the Torah. Um, he he writes his whole book in like a five stanza, five sectioned book, just like the Torah. Um, but Matthew chapter two, um, there's a guy named Herod, um, and we we mostly hear this story, you know, read around Christmas time, um, and what he hears about is this other king that's been born. And he's fearful of this king. He like becomes overwhelmingly fearful of them, of 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 this one that's been born, and so his reaction uh, is is a mass genocide. He kills all the baby boys uh, in in Bethlehem, and uh, and that's you know that's kind of how Matthew starts out his his book is like he's like oh yeah remember this thing that Herod did it's kind of like what happened. Uh, it, it's almost just like what happened, uh, with, um, with the story in the Exodus and in that story, yeah, it's, well, it's actually, ironic. yeah, it's, it's really ironic because, uh, what God tells Joseph to do is to flee to Egypt yeah. with the baby. And so what I think Matthew, at least one of the things that Matthew is highlighting in that is that, listen, um, 
at this time, Jerusalem had become no better than Egypt in the time of Moses. And actually, Egypt was the place to flee for safety now uh, and not the promised land. And, uh, and so I, I think there's, there's a lot of overlap between what Matthew is doing and what's happening in this story. And so I'm, I'm going to kind of close this out of like, this ends really sad. This chapter one ends really sad. All these baby mm-hmm. boys being killed in the name of we of like national preservation. You know, the, oh, if they rise up against us, it's going to be miserable. But, uh, you know, man, how many times has that happened? Um, but this is a really horrible situation uh, that God's people are going through. Um, it seems that they're being resilient and they're doing what they were supposed to do. They're multiplying and filling the earth. They're fulfilling the covenant. Um, and uh, But I, I do want to impress of like, remember, we just last left Genesis 50. How did Genesis 50 end? Is that, listen, um, you know, you guys meant this, for, you know, for evil, but God is going to turn it for good. 